If you do have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open to Revelation. It's the final book in the Bible. Um, I want you to open to Revelation 21, which is actually the second to last chapter in the entire Bible. But while you guys do that, I want to make one quick announcement. Um, It has been such a fun summer, amen? Have you guys had fun this summer? Well, one of the things (laughs) that we get to do as a family and as a community together is that we get to continue um, to celebrate everything that God has done and continue to move forward in the things that God has for us. And one of the things that we get to do throughout the fall, everybody say the fall, that we get to do is we do a midweek service along with our Sunday services called halftime. Can everybody say halftime? Halftime is our Tuesday night services, and those are going to begin on Tuesday, September 12th. Everybody say September 12th. Get on the same page as me. Thank you. And one of the things about it, I just want to even just explain it. It's something that we're going to be talking about a lot over this next year. Uh, We do it every Tuesday throughout the school year. It's our opportunity to gather on Tuesday nights. We gather here either in this youth building and outside or when the weather turns south for the winter, we meet in the gym and then come over here. We usually meet at about 7 o'clock and we have about a half hour of hanging out, games, snacks, candy, drinks, and available for you guys. And then at about 7.30, we head back in here for a time of worship together. And then from there, we break off into our smaller groups where we get to dive into the word that are led by your awesome leaders. Can we give it up for our leaders in this room as well? <laughs> as they give it up for themselves. And But what I would just say, I want to... I want to be real with you guys, and I want to be honest with you. As someone that, and I'm not saying this as the pastor, I'm saying this as your guys' brother. One of the nice things about having a midweek service is the depth that you're able to get when you gather together around the Word, and you're able to ask certain questions that you might not be able to ask in a setting like this. You might be able to share certain things about your life. You might be able to get to know people on a different level that maybe you don't necessarily get to know in a place that's like this because everybody's around and they're listening to the people that are talking from up front or worshiping together, which isn't wrong, but there's an opportunity for relationships. There's an opportunity to know people deeper and for friendships. And so what I would just even say... And this is in no means saying that Sunday morning isn't important. Sundays are very important, amen? But if someone came to me and said, you have to get rid of either a Sunday or a Tuesday night, Jeff, which one would you get rid of? I would get rid of a Sunday before a Tuesday night because it is so important for us to gather together on a deeper level in God's Word. Doesn't mean that Sunday morning isn't important. I love Sunday. I'm a pastor. I'm for it. Amen? But it is so vital for you guys' faith to be able to get to know one another on a deeper level in the Word. That is something that we as leaders have seen with students who have made a consistent commitment to Tuesday nights that has had a major impact on their faith. And that's something that I would just appeal to you guys, not as a, just as a, as a pastor, but as a brother to you guys, the importance of getting to know one another and coming to those Tuesday nights. Once again, those are going to be on um, Tuesdays. September 12th is our first one, and they go throughout the year. And so I would say right now, looking at your schedule and things like that, clear that Tuesday night. That's going to be an awesome time for you guys to be able to gather. So if you have any questions, feel free to ask myself or any of the other leaders or staff members Amen.
Amen, amen. Let's pray together, shall we? Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this morning um, and your goodness. Lord, would you speak to us? We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. I am so happy to be back with you guys this morning. Um, if you haven't yet, turn to Revelation 21. That's where we're going to be. This morning, um, we're going to be spending a lot of time out of here. And specifically, this morning with you guys, I want to I just share a standalone message. I know that a lot of times in here we do messages through a series or through a, a certain book in the Bible or a certain topic. But this morning is just going to be a standalone. And I want to talk about heaven. Can you all say heaven with me? Heaven um, is probably one of the most important, but also one of the most confusing topics when it comes to the Bible. Oftentimes when you hear heaven... It's something that's just referenced, kind of off-key. Well, someday when we get in heaven, up there in heaven, it's... But it's not really specifically talked about in depth what it's like. And for the most part, your idea of heaven and what it's going to be actually like can be influenced by anything but God's Word. It could be influenced by pop culture. Maybe you think you're going to sit on a cloud and be a spirit in a white robe and play harps for eternity and go, oh, you know... And that's, that's how some people think what heaven is going to be like. And where that comes from, not sure. But when it comes to heaven and what God says about it is that he actually has a lot to say about what heaven is really like. And this morning we're going to look at specific observations of it. And if you've never read the book of Revelation, it's, it's definitely an interesting book. It's actually written by the guy who wrote the book of John. A lot of us know who John is. He was one of the apostles. He was one of the followers of Jesus. This is written like years after the events of Jesus when he came to earth, died and rose again. John is an old man, okay? And he is, he gets a vision from God about the end times and what heaven will be like and the new everything. And what he does is he just observes it. And one interesting thing about all his observations is that the point of revelation, and he says it in the beginning, he's smart, he writes down the point of the whole book. He says that this is to encourage you guys, that someday God has something even greater for us than what we live in right now. Did you know that God has way more in store for you guys than what you're living right now and what you're living for right now? Did you know that? That God has so much more in store for us. And so this morning... I want to I dive into it, and I want to look at kind of this portrayal that John observes. And in 21, this is where we get to the point where it talks about the end times. It talks about kind of the final judgment of God. And where we come in is at the point of when the new heaven comes. And this is what it says. It's in chapter 21, verse 1. This is what God's Word says. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. 
For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Can you guys say amen with me? We're going to look at these verses as well as other ones, but this is going to be kind of our main passage. Also, don't worry if you didn't understand everything that we just read. There have been generations of people trying to understand this fully and (laughs) haven't had much luck. So in that, I think when you look at a picture of what heaven is and a description of what heaven is, it's so vital to talk about because this is the end goal of believing and following Jesus altogether. How many of you guys in this room have had someone talk to you or tell you to do something, and after a little while, you're just listening to them, and you go, what do you ask? Why? How many of you have ever asked that question, why are we doing this? How many of you have ever been in school and been taught something, and you're like, why are we learning this right now? How many of you have ever been in a class and you're like, what are we going to do with this someday? How many of you are like, what kind of sick job in the future does this with your profession? And I remember one time, I want to tell you guys a story. One time in eighth grade, I remember her name was Miss Co. That was our math teacher. And she was, she made us do everything by hand. She didn't like to use calculators, and so we're doing all these sorts of math. And everybody in class was kind of just, kind of getting fed up with it. She was really nice, so it was really hard to, like, complain. But one day, a kid just had it. I remember his name was Nick. And he just was like, why are we doing this right now? Tell me. He just called out the teacher, just like that. Don't ever do that. But he's like, why are we doing this right now? Why don't we at least use calculators? And she's like, this was what she honestly said, and I was dumbfounded. This ruined the rest of my year in math. She goes, well, someday if all the computers crash and we're not able to use calculators, you're going to need to do it by hand. And I'm thinking, batteries. We have batteries. Okay? And so... One of the things that we like to think about, and I think this is a healthy thing for us to think about in our lives, is why. That's a good question to ask. Because when you come before God and said, God says, I want you to obey my commands. I want you to trust in me. I want you to lay down your life for me. That sometimes causes us to ask, why? Why would we lay down our life? And I think it can be healthy if it's brought before the Lord. But ultimately, it's something that can draw us to answer that why. Heaven is the answer to that why question. So I want to look at heaven itself, but also in the way that we're to handle it this morning. Because when you understand the fullness of heaven, you will know why you follow Jesus the way that you do. I'm going to say that one more time. When you understand the fullness of everything that God has in store for us one day, that puts into perspective why we do the things that we do right now. Can I get an amen on that? Well, looking at it and from this passage, I'm going to pick it kind of apart and just give some certain points of it. The first one is simply this. Here is a characteristic of heaven. One, everything will be new. Everything will be brand new. And what it even says in here, I think it's interesting. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The heaven right now is going to pass away. 
the earth that's right now is going to pass away and there's going to be a new heaven and there's going to be a new earth for us. In another verse in the Bible, it says, you will forget the former things. The things of this world, what, what it was about, it will be forgotten and it will pass away and it will make way for a new world. It will make way for a new way of living. It will make way for a new era. A new age is what Jesus would even say about it. And what it says in verse 5, I love this because it's with an exclamation point. And when God has an exclamation point, you know that he's serious business. Amen? He says, write this down. Or he says, I am making everything new. And God is proud of it. And God is excited for it to make all things new. And that's not just necessarily, oh, there's going to be new earth. There's going to be new trees around us. A new house. How nice. Built by Chip and Joe. Just kidding. Um, but it's new in the sense of what it, this world is about, the brokenness of this world, our past, our own past sins, our own weaknesses, our own tragedies, the things that we brought before God, the things that we seek God for so much help with, those things will be forgotten. You think about those hurtful things that have happened in your life. Maybe it's been caused by you. And one of the temptations, think about this for a minute. One of the greatest temptations of Satan is to remind you of your past sin. It's to continue to remind you of your past sin, your past tragedies, shortcomings, things that have happened a long time ago. Even though they've been forgiven or maybe you've been delivered from it or maybe you're being delivered from it right now. And yet you have an enemy that wants to remind you of that so you can be enslaved by your past. Some people can't move on to their future because they're enslaved by their past. Do you know that? But the thing about heaven is that you're not going to sit in heaven thinking about all your past sins when you were on earth. God wipes the slate clean. In fact, that is a characteristic defined by God. God doesn't keep our sins in like this archive library on his laptop just in case he needs to pull it back up. God forgets our sin. It says, it has been delivered as far as the east is from the west. I remember one of my friends, he was actually my middle school pastor. His name was Mike. And he told me this story about a year ago about he was talking to a friend of his who had just messed up in sin. And it had been about four or five days since he had talked to him about the sin. And he said, how are you doing? And he said, I just feel really guilty about it. I feel terrible about it. And Mike just looked at him and he goes, do you think that God is sitting in heaven thinking about what you did four days ago? He goes, no, he's not. He's forgotten it and he's forgiven it. So why are you? That's a characteristic of God that when he forgives us, that he lets those things go. So will heaven be as well. It will be not just a place where God forgets our sin, but so will we. Which leads, interestingly enough, to the next point. Because I think one of the characteristics about heaven is noting what is there, but also what's not there. Amen? Because there are certain things that are here right now that will not be there in heaven. And that's a good thing. Amen? And that's this. There will be no evil or sin. You look at verse 4. It says simply this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Does that sound good? How many, of, how many of you are excited for the fact that there's going to be no more crying in heaven? 
that God himself will wipe away your tears. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more death is what it says. There will be no more sin. There will be no more evil. There will be no more sickness as well. be no more depression. No more hurt. Those things will not make it through the door. In fact, what's interesting about judgment when it talks about It paints this picture of God coming before all of humanity and judging everything that has happened under the heavens. That everything that has happened will be brought to judgment. And what it says is that if you're in Jesus, you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that your name is written in the book of life and that you will enter heaven. And what it says too is that it it literally describes in chapter 20, Satan and what he stands for being thrown into hell because God doesn't want that for us. In fact, one description that I've heard is that hell is like the trash can for God's house. That when the world that we live in right now, how many of you have like ever walked into a house or into a room that just stunk of like bad food or just trash? Maybe you went on like a vacation and you walked back in and you were like, oh my gosh. There was this one time in the college house over here when I lived there. This kid in the house, he bought like a ton of bread. And for some reason, he put it in the part of the closet in the kitchen that nobody thought existed. And then he forgot about it. And so days are going by. And every time we'd walk by this closet, it smelled like a dead animal. And we were like, oh, my word. Like, what is that smell? We looked everywhere. I was so scared to death that I was going to find like a dead rodent or something like that. And then we pull out this thing and we're like, blue bread, that's probably, you know, not a healthy thing. We throw it away and the smell goes away. You know, it sounds interesting enough, but sometimes living in this earth and living in a place that's infested with sin, it's like living in a house that's been infested with disease. It's, and we don't realize it because we've lived in it, we've been born in it. But in a way, when God removes all of the sin, all of the evil, and all the pain, that's where you have heaven itself. And that's why when God removes all of those things, did you know that the word says that it's because of sin, it's because we live in this cursed world, that we're not able to fully see God face to face? Which leads to the next point, which is the third one is this, my favorite and the thing that I'm looking most forward to about heaven, we will see God face to face. Look at verse 3 where it says, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God will himself be there and be their God. In Revelation 22, it talks about no longer will there be any curse to block us from God. And it says, the throne of God and of the Lamb, talking about Jesus, will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Now listen to this. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. You will look at God in the face. Look at your neighbor right now. Don't, don't be weird. <laughs> I saw someone like, mm, like, oh, nice to see you too. <laughs> you know? But seeing God in the face will be just as real as the neighbor that you just saw right now. That's how intimate and how real it will be because there will be no more sin. There will be no more darkness to get in the way of you and God. In fact... In another scripture, it talks about John saying, I looked for the temple of God. And he says, but I couldn't find any because God himself and Jesus will be there. Just, they're there. It's like, I was looking for the church to worship God, but then I realized Jesus is just there. 
He's just there. There's no need for this temple to come and to worship God in faith because faith will be fulfilled. He'll be right in front of you. He'll be in the fullness of who He is. Nothing to block us. That's why accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior through the cross lets us come into God's presence. And something about that, that Jesus cannot wait to see you face to face in the fullness of it. Motivates God. In fact, something even else about heaven too, I'm just going to keep moving on. It will be more beautiful than we could ever imagine. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says this. It says, What no eye has seen, and what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. No eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, the things that God, it says, has prepared for those who love Him. God is preparing heaven for us, things that are unspeakable, things that our eyes have never seen in this world. In fact, in another scripture, Jesus says, I am going to heaven, he says, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I want to do something together. I, I know I, I sound like an Insta snob when I do this, but um, I put up pictures. Just I tried to find the most amazing pictures that you could find of earth, kind of like unfiltered, just places around us and So, Daniel, could you go ahead and put up just the first one? Ooh. Now, follow me at Jeff's... No, I'm just kidding. Show the next one. And these are are real photos, by the way. That one blew my mind, just to see the reflection of everything. Keep going. Look at that. That is pretty amazing. Keep going. Look at that. How many of you like to go on vacation there? <laughs> Next one. Look at that. That's seaside. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if it was seaside, there'd be like a Best Western in the back. <laughs> um, that's, yeah. And so I, want, I just want you to note something. How many of you have like, how many of you would say those are pretty beautiful? How many of you know, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, there are so many beautiful things about this earth. Maybe you've been in a place where you saw something, not just a creation, but just around you that you were like, wow, this has been someone, like God loves us, and God is brilliant by how he has made and created this world. Now I want to tell you something. If God created this world in seven days, and it's corrupted by sin, and it looks like that, what do you think heaven will look like after 2,000 plus years of preparation without sin? It's going to look amazing. It's going to be amazing. In fact, it's, it's something that where even in the just description of what John would say, he's describing certain stones and gems that are unknown to man. It literally says it in the footnote of your Bible. It's like, the identification of these stones and these materials are unknown because they're heavenly, is what it says. What it says, too, in the Bible is that the streets are going to be like transparent gold, which is like pure gold. And let me tell you something. I looked it up. Pure gold, pure refined gold, one ounce of it is $1,300. And it says that 
pure gold is going to be like the streets of it, which is this. Gold, would you guys say gold is pretty valuable in our day and age? How many of you would like a pot of gold? The end of a rainbow. <laughs> but what is valuable here, think about this for a minute. What is valuable here in our world is going to be just, it's going to be like concrete and dirt in heaven. So what will be valuable in heaven will be way more beautiful than gold and more valuable than gold could ever be. When it talks about Jerusalem and the beauty of it, it actually explains Jerusalem as being 1,400 miles wide in width. And so, Daniel, can you put up that picture of the size of it? This is how big that holy city looks like. That's the U.S. That's how big the city is. And what it says, too, is that the walls around it are going to be 200 feet thick. How many of you think that's a pretty thick wall? You could, like, play football on it, you know? But something even about that is it's not just going to be pleasing to the eye. It's not just going to be beautiful to your eye. It's going to be something that's going to be beautiful to experience as well. What it says, too, and what it this is so true about heaven, is that it's going to be more beautiful than we can imagine. But it's also going to be more fun than we could ever imagine. Amen? I think heaven can get a bad rep for being that place where we think we're just going to be spirits floating around and singing those hymns over and over and over and over and wonder, oh, am I going to run out of breath? And they're going to go, no, you got to go for eternity. And you're like, okay, sorry. Okay? But what it says about heaven is that there's going to be people from all over in every generation coming together and joyfully celebrating everything that God has done and everything that God is. In fact, what it says as well is that we're not just going to be spirits in heaven. What it says is that you're going to be given a new resurrected body. And what it says is that when Jesus was given a new eternal body when he rose from the grave, it says he's the first fruits, which means this. He's the first one of many we have these bodies that are limited and failing, but someday, like Jesus, we're going to be given new bodies as well. It says there will be food in heaven. Amen. I want you to think about that one for a minute. What it says, too, is that there's going to be an incredible feasting that's going to happen, and everybody's going to gather at his table. So I want you to, I want you to do something with me. I want you to think about the greatest meal that you've ever ate in your life. Some kid went, oh. <laughs> oh. And I want you to think about that kind of enjoyment. See, God gets us. He gets that we love food and we love enjoying food, which is probably why it's going to be in heaven. What it says as well is that there's going to be unity and there's going to be worship as well. And that'll be an experience all of itself. I think it's interesting because when you look at Revelation 7... John describes earlier, he says this, After this I looked, and before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. It says every nation, tribe, people, and language, they're standing before the throne together. And I want you to think about that because we know God is going to be there, but also God's people from all over. And one of the things about sin that I know that can be really difficult is that oftentimes when we get hurt by sin, it's hurt through the people around us. How many of you have ever been hurt by hate? 
in this room. How many of you, it breaks your heart to see the way that people treat one another in the world that's around us right now. What it says about heaven is it says there will be a different unity. There will be a family that we're not going to be separated by the languages that we speak. We're not going to be separated by necessarily the nations or the tribes that we belong to because when you call on Jesus, we're all family. And we get to live in this perfect harmony with one another where sin doesn't get to corrupt the relationships that we have with one another. But also it says that there's going to be this worship. And I think when you think about worship, and this is nothing against Lane and the worship team whatsoever. Everybody say, hi, Lane. It's nothing against the worship that you've experienced in this world because maybe you've been here and God, you've experienced God in an amazing way in worship in your life. But the worship that happens here will be nothing like the worship that happens in heaven. It will, and I can say this, it will blow your mind. We won't be able to handle it. And I actually want to tell a story. There's a book that's called 90 Minutes in Heaven about a pastor. Um, Daniel, can you put up that picture? Put down your monster and put up that picture. Thank you. (laughs) That guy right there. So he is a pastor, um, and he has an incredible testimony, actually. And so one day he was driving in Texas, I believe, and he got in a major, major car accident. That's his car right there. He actually died on impact. And so he was pronounced dead. The medical team immediately pronounced him dead. And so it was, it was involved with the truck and everything. And so they just moved his car off to the side of the road. In fact, the medics left because they're like, all right, well, he's already passed away. So there's nothing we can do. Now we just got to get the morgue and we got to clean up the road and everything. And we're talking hours have passed since this has happened. And there was a person that was at the scene and he felt the Holy Spirit telling him to pray for that man. And he was like, well, I've never prayed for a dead man in my life. And so I'm a little nervous. And so he literally walked up to the scene and goes, um, this is going to sound a little weird, but can I pray for that guy? And they're like, Shh, he's dead. And they're like, yeah, I know, but I just felt like I needed to. And he goes, okay. Which might I remind you that Jesus himself prayed for the dead to rise. And that happened. The apostles prayed for the dead to rise. And it's that same spirit that lives within us is what it says in the Bible. So he goes and he prays, and he just takes a breath of air immediately. And then the medics, they call the medics, they rush him. He's in the hospital for over a year recovering. It was an amazing miracle that he even survived in the hospital. But he made it. He is alive now today. But the thing about his story that's so interesting, I actually read the book. Um, He said that he experienced heaven, and that it was really difficult to explain what it was like. In fact, one of the reasons, one of the things that he said was that when he was in the hospital, he fell into a severe depression. It was interesting because he was happily married and he had kids, but he said after experiencing heaven for a little bit, it was really difficult to be back in this world. As good as it is, it doesn't compare to heaven. And the one thing that he said was this in the book that he continued to reiterate. He said, the thing that I cannot shake is the worship. He said, I can live without the other stuff. And he says, but still the worship wakes me up at night because it was so profound. It was so amazing. And he says, I can't wait for it one day. Worship will be incredible in heaven. That's the power of the worship that we have right now. You know what it says in the Bible that when we worship here, we're joining that worship together. 
We're not just gathering together and doing our own thing. But we get to join in with those who have gone before us and those who are before the throne right now. And we get to worship with them. Amen? So those are just a little things about heaven. But ultimately, I think this is an important characteristic to know about heaven too. It's this. God is more excited than anyone for it. God isn't trying to push back heaven. In fact, He's more ready for it than anyone. God is patient in waiting for the right time because He's patient on people and us coming to know Him. But He is more excited than anyone. And I think something that's interesting about this passage, when you look at verse 2, and it talks about Jerusalem, it talks about this heavenly city coming out, you think about the way that God would describe it, but look how it's described. I want you to note this for a minute. It says, coming down out of heaven from God, and it says, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Men in the room, I want to tell you not only from personal experience, but from truth, there will be few things more beautiful than watching your wife come to you on the day of your wedding. And you know what? God would say, that's how I feel about each and every one of you. Did you know that? That God isn't like, oh, I'm sick of these sinners. That's not what he's saying. God says, he says, I love you so much that the day that you come to heaven, it's like Jesus is going to be the groom and you guys together, all of us are going to be like this beautiful bride coming down and it's like marriage has come and we get to be together and we get to know one another. That's what heaven is going to be like. And if anyone here questions whether or not they're loved by God, remember that's how eagerly God can't wait to be with you. Amen? In fact, it's a very hope that guides God. Have you ever thought about God's motivations for a minute? That God doesn't just necessarily do things just because I'm God. Rise, child. <laughs> you know, like... But God has a purpose for everything, and it's for this. This is the moment. This is the life. This is the eternity that God wants with us. Spending eternity with you is the thing that motivates God most of all. Amen? So I want you to think about that for a minute. It's eternity together in perfection and in paradise that motivated Jesus to go to earth to live a spotless life and die for you. That's a motivation to do hard things for the sake of something greater later. It was that motivation. It's offering us salvation is the reason that Jesus, because he wants to be with us. And it's the very thing that motivates God. You could accredit everything God does back to that. But I want you to, I want you to think about this as well. In the same way that it motivates God, it motivates us as well. It motivates the way that you live right now to live before the Lord and to say, I'm going to pursue the Lord. I'm going to say no to these things. I'm going to say yes to these things. I'm going to make this life about this for the sake of something greater someday. Did you know that in the Bible too about heaven? It says that the greatest shall be the least and the least shall be the greatest. When you humble yourself and serve God in this world, even though it may not look great in this sinful world, that you'll be considered great in the kingdom of heaven. But if you're just about pride and power and about just conquering this world for yourself, that when you get to the kingdom, you'll be like that homeless person in heaven. 
that you'll be considered the least because you made your life about something for yourself and not about the kingdom. That's the things that motivate us to do the things that we do. Isn't that beautiful? It motivates us. The beauty of heaven motivates us now to follow him wholeheartedly and to give and to lay down our lives for him because ultimately God's going to take it back up. Lane, I'm going to call you back up here. We're going to finish with a song of worship together. But I want us to just understand this. In Philippians 3.20, it says this. It says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. It's that waiting and that excitement that motivates us. And so I'm going to ask you guys, close your Bibles, close your phones, and just right where you're at, I'm going to actually ask you to stand up. Just right where you're at. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes just right where you're at right now. Because I think when you hear about the hope of heaven, it's about understanding it. When you forget about heaven, you forget about the end goal. You become disgruntled and you, you begin to question the whole point in following Jesus. It's kind of like that example we talked about with school when you're like, we're never going to use this. This isn't going to amount to anything in our lives. It becomes a whole lot harder to do the very work in front of us, right? But let me ask you something. When you forget about the hope that heaven is and the goodness of it, it becomes that much harder to seek God. It becomes that much harder to give your life to Him. But when you're reminded of the hope, you'll die for Him. Because you know that something greater is coming and that the reward truly is great. But do you take time to contemplate that reward in your life? I want to ask you that question this morning. And with eyes closed, I want to pray with you. Jesus, we thank you for everything that you're preparing us for in heaven. God, we thank you for your mercy and your love. Lord, that has died for us, rose again, but now is preparing an eternal heaven for those who call upon your name. Maybe you're here and you've never called on Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And what it says is that if you call Jesus your Lord and your Savior, the one who forgave you of your sins, that your name is written in the book of life and that you will not, you will not be excluded from heaven. You'll be included in it with him, that your sins will be forgiven both now and forever. If that's you, I want to pray with you right now. Maybe you're here and you're feeling that tug to make a commitment and to say, I want to spend heaven I want to spend eternity in heaven. I want to be with Jesus in heaven. And if that's you, I want to pray with you. Maybe you're here and you're someone who just knows Jesus, but you've never thought about heaven. Maybe you didn't even understand what heaven was like. And you want to say, yeah, that's what I want to live for. I'm not just living aimlessly in this life. I'm not just trying to make it day to day. I'm not just trying to please parents. I'm not just trying to, to get by and feel good about myself. But I want to live for something greater than this life. I want to live for eternity with Jesus. And I want to be considered great in his kingdom by living for him. And if that's you, I want to pray with you too. And Jesus, we just present that to you right now. We choose you right now. Lord, we say we want that, and we want to live for that right now. We want that to be the answer to our whys when we follow you and when we choose you, God. We praise you, and Lord, we hold nothing back from you. In Christ's name, everyone said, amen.